Want to teach your kids financial literacy, but not sure where to start? Greenlight can help. With Greenlight, parents can keep an eye on kids' spending and saving, while kids and teens use a card of their own to build money confidence. As a parent, you can send instant money transfers, set up chores, automate allowance, and more. It's a convenient way to run your household, customized to your family's needs, and the easy way to raise financially smart kids. Get started with Greenlight today and get your first month free at greenlight.com slash odyssey. This is a Vault Studios production. Today, 25 years after her death, everywhere you look in Corpus Christi, there are reminders of Selena. On the waterfront, a large white rose, the Mirador de la Flor, which means overlook of the flower, stands in Selena's honor. She's gone in, in body, but not in her hearts and in her soul. She'll live forever. She'll live forever. Fans still flock to the monument every day, snapping photos, taking videos, and reading the engraved bricks with love notes from friends and family. We didn't have time to tell her before how we felt, so... This is our way way of saying how much we miss her and how much we always love her. Less than a mile away sits her gravesite, enclosed in a black wrought iron fence. Inside her gravestone, adorned with a larger-than-life carving of her face, is decorated with white and purple roses. The bottom reads, He will actually swallow up death forever, and the Sovereign Lord Jehovah will certainly wipe the tears from all faces. Isaiah 25.8 Yolanda Saldivar, currently serving her life sentence at Mountain View Unit in Gatesville, Texas, will be up for parole on March 30th, 2025, just a day shy of the 30th anniversary of the day she shot and killed Selena. Saldivar is up for parole in a little over five years. Valdez says instead of filing motions for new trials, she should be focusing on something else. She should be thinking about expressing remorse Uh, admitting that she was wrong uh, and telling people, trying to convince people that the time in prison has changed her for the better. Do you think she'll ever walk out of prison? I hope not. I really hope not. She took so much away from everybody. I feel like um, she she just took her from us. But getting out of prison is exactly what Yolanda Saldivar is banking on 25 years after her murder conviction. KHOU reporter Grace White talked to the original prosecutor, Carlos Valdez. Do you think Yolanda will ever walk out of prison? Um, She'll be eligible for parole here in a few years, and uh, she'll have to convince the parole board. I think there'll be a lot of people who protest. There'll be a lot of people writing in, people... Uh, sending emails and texts and everything protesting. So the parole board will have to look at it very carefully. What do you make of her appeals saying you withheld evidence? She uh, she t- she does that almost on a, on a yearly basis. She's done that so many times, so many different writs that she's filed. And she's always looking for an angle. Whatever angle works, uh, she'll try that. And um, And it looks almost like that she wants to steal the attention away from Selena. Whenever people start focusing on Selena, uh, she wants the spotlight back on her. So she'll try something like this. And um, she's come up with a bunch of things that courts have looked at and, and most of the time just just uh, overrule just immediately. 
one piece of evidence that's been a point of contention and is no longer in any evidence room is the gun used to kill Selena. The gun simply vanished after the trial. But once the gun was found several months later, the judge made a somewhat unusual ruling. Why did you destroy the gun? Oh, that was uh, the judge who ordered the destruction of the gun. and uh, Because Yolanda's sister has kind of made a big deal out of that. Um, yeah, uh, it doesn't make any difference. Uh, because um, the reason we, we destroyed, the, the, the judge ordered it destroyed is because there's so many people that wanted it. The, the gun disappeared for for several months after um, after the after the trial after everything we 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 had all the evidence transferred from Houston where it was to the clerk here in Uasis County. It just went missing. It just went missing the gun and the and the ring and that Selena was wearing, and we were able to find it. And when we found it, we um, where were they? Uh, they were in the garage, in a box in the garage for from for the the court reporter that had taken the transcript had it in a box in her garage. So um, we were able to recover it. The uh, ring was returned to Mr. Quintanilla because that's his property. And the gun, the judge, after having a hearing, we had a hearing where several people asked to be allowed to buy it or to awarded to a museum or something, the judge decided the best thing is to just destroy it, and it was destroyed. The gun itself is not necessary because we have a statement from Yolanda Saldivar saying she, she shot her, she killed her, so we don't need a gun. She's already admitted she shot her. And what about that claim that Yolanda's sister makes, the claim that someone else was trying to kill not Selena, but Yolanda? One other thing that uh, Yolanda's sister said that I thought was interesting, I'm sure you've heard it before, but she said they were not trying to kill Selena, they were trying to kill Yolanda. Who's they? Yeah, um, I've heard that before, that there, there were people next door, in the room next door, who were, who were the ones who shot. Actually, there was just one shot fired, and it was the gun that Yolanda had, that Yolanda bought. We were able to track it. Uh, to the gun store, we were able to track the bullet, the, the bullet she bought. Everything matched, so there's no question. And Yolanda Saldivar says she shot Selena. So if the sister's saying somebody else did, she's calling her sister a liar. So does Yolanda Saldivar have a shot at getting her case overturned? I sat down with Nueces County District Attorney Matt Manning we discussed the appeals process and all the filings that Saldivar has been submitting to the court for a new trial for more than two decades. Once a person is convicted, they have what's called a direct appeal right. That's where they say, my lawyer messed up, I didn't get all of the evidence, something went wrong. They go to the Court of, Crim- they go to the court of Appeals. If the Court of Appeals affirms the judgment, then they go up to the Court of Criminal Appeals. Thereafter, they can file a writ. You get one bite at the apple. After you file that writ, if the court doesn't agree with you, then you're basically, you know, without any further relief. You can file subsequent writs, but the stipulations there are you have to either have new evidence that was not available to you at the time or some kind of constitutional violation. We- we spoke with a family of uh, Selena who told us, you know, we wish she would stop this because every time she does this, it's like opening up a wound. 
Is there a limit? Is there a time limit? How many times Yolanda will be able to file writs? So no, there's not an exact number. But as I said, the courts at a certain point will just stop hearing them, essentially. And will tell you that you cannot file anything further without permission. And as a matter of fact, there's even a point where you can start abusing the writ process, whereby they can be uh, docked on their commissary and other punishments. Saldivar has filed several writs over the years. Most recently, she filed one regarding a piece of evidence from the trial. Carlos Valdez, a judge now, went over boxes of evidence with me inside the courthouse. Evidence that Saldivar claims 23 years later, her attorney didn't have access to during the trial. And ammunition. All sorts of evidence, from transcripts to affidavits, stacks of files, even Yolanda Saldivar's purse and briefcase. Bunch of correspondence and files. Saldivar's infamous cell phone is part of the cache of evidence. But in paperwork demanding a new trial filed in March, there is one item the 58-year-old convicted murderer claims was not admitted into evidence during her trial, claiming the prosecution hid it from her defense team. Inside a brown paper bag, a pair of blood-stained, white high-top Reebok shoes Selena was wearing the day she was shot. The evidence, which has been kept in this brown paper bag, contains the tennis shoes Selena was wearing the day she was shot. In her writ of habeas corpus, Saldivar claims nowhere in the state's exhibit index was a pair of white high-top Reebok tennis shoes listed. But Carlos Valdez quickly dispelled that by showing us this one critical detail. This says DT. Right there. August 15th of 1995. What that means is that Doug Tinker opened this and looked at the evidence that was in here. And Mr. Tinker was the chief defense attorney for uh, Yolanda Saldivar. So um, he had access to it. He had access to the evidence. He had access to the tennis shoes. Nobody was hiding them. Uh, they've been with the clerk the whole time. Saldivar claims after 23 years, Valdez presented the evidence to the public in a Spanish media interview. In her writ, Saldivar says the jury, not the defense or the prosecutor, is the trier of fact of all relevant material evidence, and they alone should and did determine between conviction and acquittal. But not all the evidence was presented. She's also stated the shoes support her claim that the shooting was an accident. But there's no blood on the bottom of the shoes. The blood is only on the top, showing that she was bleeding out as she ran away from Saldivar. And the court dismissed it. In fact, all of her appeals for a new trial have been dismissed. One thing Judge Valdez has told me, he doesn't believe she'll ever see the light of day. Ready to start talking to your kids about financial literacy? Meet Greenlight, the debit card and money app that teaches kids and teens how to earn, save, spend wisely, and invest with your guardrails in place. Parents can send instant money transfers, automate allowance, and more. Plus, keep an eye on spending with real-time notifications. Join more than 6 million families building healthy financial habits together on Greenlight. Get your first month free at greenlight.com slash odyssey. That's greenlight.com slash odyssey. But it's not Yolanda Saldivar or Selena's death that fans want to remember. It's all the places within Corpus Christi where they can honor her life and what she stood for. Nia Town grew up in California, idolizing Selena. 
Now, as the news director for KIIII-TV in Corpus Christi, she sees every day the influence and impact the star had on her hometown, the town Nia now calls her home. It's everywhere, just her presence. Um, It's not the hotel that she was murdered at. It's the monument down by the steps, you know, where the washing machine film uh, scene was filmed. It's the museum. It's going to Hi-Ho, one of her favorite restaurants that now is really a shrine to who she was. It's going to the Olive Garden right down the street that that she really enjoyed and taking part in all the things that she loved. And because of those places, like Hi-Ho, where you can still order her favorite dish, carne guisada, her memory lives on with her fans and when her fame was just beginning, and a new generation of fans today. It's like the scene from the movie Coco. As long as you're being talked about, as long as you're never forgotten, you're still making a difference. Um, And... So for the makeup line to come out and all these blogs about Selena and all these TV shows coming out about her, um, I think, you know, it's really easy to call it the Selena phenomenon and, and what's happening with that, what's making this explode. It's not, the, it's not necessarily a phenomenon of Selena. It's uh, a really great example of who we are as a people and how we carry on um, the legacies of the people that we love and admire. There's a piece of Selena in towns across Texas, places she visited, where she performed, and a new generation of Selena fans who grew up hearing about her. Kat Cardenas is part of that new generation. Uh, I was born in 1996, so I was obviously born after she passed. From that sense, I was able to kind of see how how crazy and expansive her legacy was because I, w- I wasn't even around to see her, but everyone that I knew was obsessed with her. Kat is a writer for Texas Monthly, She's dubbed herself the unofficial Selena correspondent. Born and raised in San Antonio, Kat's story is like a lot of young people who've learned about Selena from relatives, parents, siblings, cousins. Selena is built into the fabric of Texas culture, and there's always something new going on in the world of Selena fandom. The efforts to make a Selena Day official in Texas, um, different clothing lines that have come out that are dedicated to Selena... Um, I wrote about a professor who has made a Selena course in California. So different things like that that kind of extend to her legacy. For Kat and the fans she lives and works with, Selena's legacy is unique. When it comes to other artists who had untimely deaths, there isn't the same level of cultural significance. So with other artists who had untimely deaths, they themselves played a huge role in in musical culture, in the culture of that that year, that time, that decade. But with Selena, not only was she important to the musical landscape of the 90s, but she was also incredibly important as a Latina artist. So there was that sense of, of ownership that we felt, a kinship that we felt, that has kind of made the fandom so earnest and so loyal to her because... That was kind of the beginnings of, of other Latin artists that were to come later on. And there was just a level of authenticity there that she had that she could lend to the Latino community that I think just isn't found on the same level when it comes to, you know, several other artists who did, you know, unfortunately pass before their time. But there's something else about Selena's diehard fans, something many of them refuse to discuss. Just overall, there's a big 
cloud that hangs over even the mere mention of Yolanda's name. She either doesn't come up at all, or if she does come up, there's a very vitriolic reaction towards her name or or any mention of her having a part in Selena's legacy at all. Their image of her is that she's just a pathological liar who was obsessed with Selena and who was desperate to keep her in her life. And it just seems so completely senseless. And I think that's the frustration and where a lot of the anger at Yolanda comes is that there's such a feeling that this could have ended any other way but the way that it did. The hatred is not surprising. We want to remember all that was good about Selena, not the tragic way she died. But Yolanda Saldivar is part of her story, a toxic, tragic, senseless part of an otherwise beautiful story. For me, growing up, the entire mystery surrounding Yolanda, it was really confusing for me as I was growing up as a fan of Selena because I had... I obviously knew that she had been killed and that she was murdered, but I had no concept of how that occurred. I had no concept of who had done it. I mean, later on when I became a huge fan of of the Beatles, I obviously knew how John Lennon died and who his killer was, and even down to the book he was reading before it happened. With Selena, I knew little to nothing about Yolanda other than her name, and I didn't find that out until middle school. And I guess my vague idea throughout my young life was that she had been killed by a super fan. And so I just thought that it was this this crazy fan who was unhinged and had been obsessed with her and wanted to kill her. I had no idea that they knew each other. I had no idea that she was the president of her fan club. I had no idea about the embezzlement claims until I was a little bit older and I watched the movie and then kind of did some research about it myself. Kat mentions a professor teaching a course on Selena. His name is Dr. Nathan Shea Rodriguez. He's an assistant professor of digital media at San Diego State University. Growing up in in Texas, specifically in San Antonio, there was always a part of me that never felt that I was fully American or fully Mexican. Like it was kind of this liminal in-between type of space. I, my whole family around me spoke Spanish. I spoke English. They really wanted me to learn English first as my first language so that I would be successful in school. So that created a tension within my identity of what is my first language? What is my preferred language? I, I looked brown, but I didn't sound brown. Um, I wasn't Mexican enough for the Mexicans, American enough for Americans. And so the person that really spoke to me was Selena because she was the same. She spoke in English and sang in Spanish. She mispronounced tons of words. She was what we would call a pocho. And so I really identified with her because that was who I was. So through her, I really found this connection of how to construct my own identity knowing that there was not one proper way to be Latino. Many years later, that very personal experience led him to realize that many of his students could learn from Selena's story and how her life and death have been represented and discussed in the media and popular culture. Me personally, what I have gotten out of it is the idea that there are students who need it so much to talk about themselves. They want to talk about their lived experiences. They want to talk about their life. They want to talk about watching Gentified and watching um, On My Block and Vida and all these other shows that make them who they are. They want to talk in Spanish and English, broken Spanish. They want to code switch. And there's a space now for them to do that. Many students come to the class knowing something about Selena but their backgrounds and experiences are diverse. 
Either their family was very much talking about her playing her music growing up, it was part of their culture, or they watched her on E! in the movie Selena or heard her songs kind of posthumously, um, and that's how they got to know her. They know who she was, but they're still kind of trying to figure out exactly, you know, everything else about her. Students learn about Yolanda Saldivar and that awful day in March 1995. But in talking about her, they focus on the lens through which the media has portrayed Yolanda. Specifically, if you show my class a picture of the real Yolanda Saldivar, they can't recognize her. I show them a picture of Lupe Ontiveros, who was the actress who played Yolanda in the movie Selena. They're like, that's Yolanda Saldivar. So even now, the students that you know are remembering, they remember Lupe Ontiveros as Yolanda, and they remember Jennifer Lopez as Selena. You know, it's very interesting to see that that way in which the media has played a really big role in how Selena's memory is is still being remembered. And the media portrayal of Yolanda and how that affects what we think of her is complicated. And I think for Selena, when we talk about Yolanda, we talk about Yolanda as the person that you know was almost obsessive. She was her fan club president. She had an in. She was very close to Selena. And then she was the one who took her life. And so in the class, we really addressed the way in which that story was mediated and all the stuff that happened after that. And a big part of what happened after that day was the movie Selena. When you watch the movie, Gregory Nava's tale about Selena, you see that, you know, Yolanda's made to be this very, you know, lovable character and she's not as villainized in the film as she is in real life so in the film it's kind of like this mother figure who doesn't you do, i don't know where the money's at meet me here and the movie just ends on you know selena reaching for a rose and it falls and then it goes straight to the emergency room so a lot of the public then right especially the my students who weren't around while the trial was happening and who yolanda was they don't i think see yolanda as much of a villain as Yolanda was seen by the people in real time when all of this was actually happening. Just gauging from the reactions of my students, they know Yolanda killed her, but I think they have a lot more empathy for her because of the movie, which is interesting. Rodriguez also acknowledges Yolanda's ability to stay relevant. As Carlos Valdez puts it, to manipulate Selena decades after she killed her. Because she's still very adamant that she has another secret of Selena, that she won't tell anybody. She's going to take that secret to the grave. Um, and so just that little bit of, you know, temptation then keeps people coming back, talking to her, asking her, what is that secret? What is it? And everybody loves a sensational story. And this is a really good story. You know, fan club president who turned on her, you know, the object of her fandom. It's, it's a story that sells. And so I think that's why a lot of people have written books and done things. And Yolanda's still going to be the topic of discussion for a lot of years to come. But what resonates most with him is how we see Selena's story impacting his students today. And for a lot of the students, I think it's really helped them come to terms with taking someone and creating some kind of template and saying, okay, here's how Selena was being viewed as not just a pop culture icon, but also a Mexican-American in the mid-1990s, in the midst of the social political turmoil that was happening. Clinton was in power. There was all of these... Um, different kinds of government policies going into place, the militarization of the border, um, cat, the catch and release kind of thing was being taken away and, and people were starting to be put in detention centers. Uh, there was this big kind of push towards nationalism back then. And now we see how that's happening again with the current regime that is in power. And so I think students are starting to see, wow, it wasn't so much Selena was Selena, it was her identity, her being representative of this population who was being, you know, ostracized and marginalized and criminalized. And we see it happening again today. So I think for them, they're able to take that and apply it to current social political 
situations. And they're also able to see how their own liminality is put into question and how Selena was of two different worlds, not just of her code switching and her being from Mexico and from the US, but being born in Texas, but also the way she was looked at by different facets of society. And then there's her music. Even after her death, her music continued to win awards. On behalf of the, the Quintanilla family, Chris Perez, we want to thank all the Tejanos, todos los Mexicanos, all Latin America for their support and your love in our time of need. I wish she could be here to accept this, but we'll do that for it. Thank you. I want to thank everybody who voted uh, for Selena and uh, who helped make her dream also of uh, making an English album crossover, a reality for everybody who bought the album. Uh, I just wish you would have been here to see it, but it did really good, and I'm really happy. Well, I got a lot of beautiful memories of Selena, and, uh, you know, it, you know, can pass and uh, I think she would have said the same thing. Uh, we got to keep on going with our lives, and, uh, you know, she, she left us a lot of beautiful memories, and uh, she was a great talent. We're all going to miss her. Even uh, in the years to come, we'll still be missing her. Selena was the, the Tejano artist to go internationally. Mexico, all over the world, uh, like a Gloria Stefan. She was going to be the next, but better. And she aspired to, to do something big and do, do good things for her family and, and her friends. In 2015, those fans and musicians were able to celebrate Selena with Fiesta de la Flor, a musical festival tribute all about the Tejano star. I hosted the concert for five years. It was indescribable. I remember arriving at the venue and there was a line at least five miles long of fans waiting to get inside, all decked out in Selena t-shirts and some even dressed in her iconic fashion. Her brother, A.B., spoke on stage. Her dream was, as she said in her own words, is to create something that would last forever. And we're here 25 years later, and she was able to accomplish that. The fiesta drew thousands of fans with an economic impact of millions of dollars for the Corpus Christi community, her community. Selena, her music, her fashion, and her open arms to everyone she met will always remain in the hearts of millions around the world every time they hear her voice. Because of that, her legacy lives on, and her dream of creating something that would last forever has come true for La Flor. I think playing at the Astrodome was kind of like a dream come true for all of us because, I mean, this place is, you know, like Garth Brooks and George Strait and, you know, Michael Jackson's even played there. And I remember when Michael Jackson had played there, you know, I thought to myself, wow, that'd be really neat if one day, you know, we, it ever gets to the point, you know, where we can play there. Selena, a star dies in Texas, is a Vault Studios production in collaboration with KIII TV in Corpus Christi, KHOU in Houston, WFAA in Dallas, KENS 5 in San Antonio, and our network of TV stations across Texas. Special thanks to Grace White of KHOU and former KENS 5 anchor Sarah Lucero. 
The Vault Studios team includes executive producers Will Johnson and Adam Ostro, and investigative journalist Jessica Knoll. Audio production by Richard Humphreys at Tacoma Media in Silver Spring, Maryland. Visit our website at vaultstudios.com to learn more about our podcasts, including Bardstown and The Officer's Wife. And you can find us on Facebook at Inside the Crime Vault if you'd like to talk about this case and learn about other stories we're covering. For Vault Studios and KIIII-TV, I'm Rudy Trevino.